Amen. Uh, before you're seated, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our children for uh, children's church or for kids' church. So if they want to head out that way, and uh, parents, remember to hold on to your, your check-in sticker and use that to, to gather them up after the service, and uh, our workers especially will appreciate that. And uh, so, man, so we're glad you're here this morning. And, uh, you know, I am convinced God is doing infinitely more than we are aware of. Thanks, Marv. I'm going to say it again. I am convinced that God is doing infinitely more than we are aware of. And it's easy for us to listen to all the talking heads and even our own eyes and ears and understanding and think that the world is in chaos and it's going to hell in a handbasket and it's, always, it's just going to get worse and worse till Jesus comes. It's easy to fall into that. But the scripture declares that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so perspective really matters. Uh, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today and uh, how our perspective sometimes needs to change. But before we do, a couple of announcements real quick. The QR code for the online Connect card that I promised earlier has arrived. Whoa! And so you can scan that with your mobile device. You can fill out the electronic version or you can do the paper copy. Again, any information you want to share with us, things that maybe need to be corrected if you're not getting emails or text messages, uh, please make us aware of that. Uh, if there's questions that you have about how you can serve or what's available, uh, please use those to connect with us. A couple of upcoming announcements. Next Sunday after service, remember... Our fellowship lunch, which will happen right across the street. And so watch for the text messages this week for the menu and what you can bring. And uh, we will move right over there after the service. Um, it's just an eat and go. There's no like uh, requirement for how long you need to stay. So please don't feel obligated. We just want to give you an opportunity to maybe fellowship a little bit more with one another. So be prepared for that. Um, men's coffee and conversation coming up on September 23rd and then also the ladies study is up there uh, you can find all of those events on the calendar on church center so if you're not on church center or you need help with that app mark that on your connect card and we'll get in touch with you this week and uh, get you on that so that you can use the calendar that's on there to stay up to date with events that are happening Empowered Youth tonight from 5 to 6.30 at the downtown location. And then House of Prayer follows that at 7 o'clock tonight from 7 to 8. Uh, there is a sign-up sheet in, on the table in the back. Uh, lots of information out on that table as well. Events that are coming up. Uh, there are posters and flyers out there. Gathering the General's Conference is, there's a poster out there for that. The James River Church always hosts that. Every year there's a youth event on that Saturday as well. And then there's also some information about a biblical parenting seminar that is happening at James Valley Christian School on, I don't know, it is a video and so you don't have the slide. So the, we're going to show you a video that's going to talk about it and I didn't write down the date, it's the first Saturday of October, I do know that. So October 7th and so, but as soon as she pushes the button it's going to play the video and so she was wise enough not to put it on the screen while I was looking for it and so, but October the 7th but there's a short promo video that's going to tell you some more about that so let's watch this video. Mm -hmm. 
You know, as parents, there is nothing greater than we want for our children that they would know, love, and serve Jesus Christ for all of their days. But of course, right now in the world we live in, that is a huge challenge. So we want to be an encouragement and a support to you to help your kids develop lifelong faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I've been a pastor for about 20 years, and over that time, I have seen some reoccurring challenges that this conference helps address in the parenting arena. There are a lot of parents that have not had a good role model on how to disciple a child. So we're going to provide a roadmap and a plan for you that you can customize for you to disciple a child from birth through 18 years old. We've also seen that many parents are flying by the seat of their pants, and we want to help you be intentional to have a Deuteronomy 6 kind of mentality in your home and seize the daily opportunities that are present to point your kids to Jesus and help them develop a rooted and established deep faith in Jesus Christ. We've also seen that many others haven't spent the time really discussing and seeing how their kids are doing spiritually, emotionally, physically, uh, in all different arenas of life. And we're going to help you focus on some parenting goals that you create over the next six to 12 months of your parenting. You know, a biblical parenting conference addresses a lot of those issues, but it also helps you develop a biblical vision for parenting. So we're going to spend time looking at some biblical parenting principles, helping you land on some key priorities in your home. There's going to be practical tools and very helpful items for you to disciple your children. We'll talk about the importance of corporate worship, the how-to of family worship, and you will leave enriched and equipped for this next season in your parenting. So there you have it. Saturday, October 7th from 9 to 4. Lunch is included in the registration and there is no charge for this event. So you can go to the website jvcs.org. You can register for that and uh, be a part of that event uh, as well. Um, if you've been getting the emails, our global partners, we've been trying to update you on how to pray specifically for our global partners. Thank you for the giving that you've given so far for the month of September. We're almost about halfway to our goal for September for the financial support that we have for all of our global partners. Um, but as you get those emails, um, if you want print, printed copies of those, I can make those available to you as well. Um, but email just is easier to just send them over. Uh, but we would make those available to you as well. And then last but not least, our business of the week. This week, uh, watch for that email tomorrow. It will also be on our church Facebook page. East River Nursery is our business this week. And so we are going to be praying for them, uh, for God's blessing over them. And then there's just more information on that slide. Um, and then we'll be in your email to know how to pray specifically for them. And so I believe that's all the announcements I have for you. And if not, we're just going to move on anyway. So if you do not have a copy of the journey book in your hands, our hosts have some extras, ones of those, and they'll put one in your hand if you just slip up your hand. Um, today we are in part nine, part nine. So if you open right to the center, voila, you will find that. And uh, we've been in a series for several uh, months, actually, going through a few different booklets, all kind of just reiterating the same themes. And so if you want the whole set of those booklets, 
Um, they're actually a discipleship series that's meant for you to maybe walk through with someone else and uh, maybe disciple them, mentor them, or even just grow together in your understanding of the Scripture. And so we have extra packets available for all of those books, uh, but right now we're on this last one, which is called The Journey. And The Journey, basically the first two parts, as a reminder, talks about the three different relationships in all of our lives. Part 9 will reiterate these, but here, they're the relationships we have with God, the relationship we have with the body of Christ, and the relationship we have with the world. We refer to them as tables, of course, because at Restoration Church, we believe a table is a great analogy for us to understand the kingdom mentality, the kingdom ways that God is establishing here on the earth. And so the table of intimacy for us is our relationship with the Lord. Uh, we believe that we should learn to sit at the table of intimacy all of our days. Uh, you should never leave the table of intimacy. It's great that we have devotional time in the morning, but you don't leave the table of intimacy when you close the Bible. You walk with the Lord all day long. That's exactly what he intended for us. The table of communion is where we sit with the body of Christ. If the table of communion for you is only Sunday morning from 10 to 11.30 when we're in this room, you're going to be terribly lacking. We are called to be engaged with one another in the body of Christ, and we're going to talk more about that today and in the weeks ahead. Uh, but then there's also the table of connection, where our calling is to connect with people in the world. And so part nine, how are disciples made, is going to readdress those three different groups. They're going to say, they're going to talk about loving God, uniting with believers and serving the world. Uh, same thing, different verbiage. And so two weeks ago in part seven, we started talking about what is a disciple. Uh, we talked about last week, what does it mean to follow Christ? Today, we're going to talk about how our disciples made. And we, we really honed in on the phrase that Jesus used, to follow me. When he went to his disciples, what did it mean for them to follow him? And the main passage that we've looked at from Matthew chapter 28, um, 19 and 20, as you go, make disciples of all nations, immersing or baptizing them in the reality of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've taught you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. As we've talked about, the command in this passage is not as you go. The command is to make disciples. So this is not a verse that is only supposed to be applied to missionaries or to global partners that go to foreign countries or to people that go into pastoral ministry. They're the ones that are to make disciples. This is a command to every follower of Jesus Christ. As you go, make disciples. Wherever you go. As you live out your days with your spouse and your children, make disciples. As you live in a neighborhood here in Huron, South Dakota, make disciples. As you go to work, make disciples. As you go to school, make disciples. As you, whatever it is that you do in your life, make disciples. The command for us is to make disciples. And so how are disciples made is really what we're going to hone in and talk on today. And I've titled the message, Practicing the Way. Practicing the Way. As we've talked about discipleship over the last couple of weeks, I, I reiterated that a part of discipleship is learning, it's understanding, it's growing. 
We talked about the different resources that we have available. Uh, There are books in our library. This resource right here, the appendixes in the back of this book, are great resources to help us study the Scripture, to know what the Scripture is talking about, how to apply it to our lives. Uh, We talked about the idea of needing community. this, This book was never meant to be read or understood in a personal way alone. This book is a communal book. I I challenge you to just go through the book and see how many times it talks in the singular and how many times it talks in the plural. This is not about me and Jesus. This is about His kingdom that I am a part of. And His kingdom includes the body of Christ. And if I just begin to interpret the Scripture all by myself, I will have a tendency to actually make it fit what I want it to say more so than actually allowing it to shape and mold me. And so when you study it in community, the pushback that sometimes we get from one another is actually a good thing. I know that we don't like the idea of disagreement or opposition, but actually opposition is God-ordained. When opposition is used negatively or we do it with a bad attitude or a prideful, haughty spirit, well, yeah, then that's bad. But when opposition happens in a positive way, in a spirit of humility, it actually causes all of us to learn and grow and understand the scriptures a whole lot better. So we, we went back to the people of Israel. Part 7 talked about the four different schools that um, the Jewish children would go through coming out of exile to make sure they knew the scripture and understood the scripture. And the last part of that was to follow a rabbi. And when Jesus comes along in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and he says to these young men who have probably studied the Torah at least, maybe they didn't go beyond that level of schooling, but they at least had studied this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I'm humble and gentle at heart, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, we are all fully aware of the 12 apostles that Jesus called to follow him. However, the scripture says over and over, there were many more disciples who followed after him. We see that Jesus at one point sent out 72 people to do ministry on behalf of him. And so there are people that are being called into discipleship. And Jesus is using language that we don't understand, but every single one of them would understand. Because the call to follow a rabbi and be taught by the rabbi meant taking on his yoke. And his yoke is, how do you interpret and live out this book? How do you take the the commands and the teachings of the Torah and live them out? How do you take the warnings and the, the challenges of the prophets and live that out? What does it mean? How do we do it? And you would follow the rabbi wherever the rabbi went so he could teach you and train you and show you. And so you and I today are being called to follow our rabbi. Jesus is wanting to teach us. He's wanting to help us. He's wanting to show us. And we think that Jesus says, oh, my yoke is so easy to bear. Can I tell you, if you plan to follow Jesus and actually do what he commands in this book, it will not be easy. 
When he says it's easy, what he's talking about is the, the Jewish people of that day had made it so difficult because they added rules on top of the rules, on top of the rules, on top of the laws that were given, and it was confusing. Nobody knew what they were doing or whether they were breaking the laws, and they made it hard, and you had to do it perfectly. If you didn't do it perfectly, you were in trouble. You were in danger of the fires of hell. If you didn't do it perfectly, then the Messiah wouldn't be able to come until you did it perfectly. And Jesus comes to, and he's like, psst, the Messiah's here and you're never going to do it perfectly and that's why I'm here. And so Jesus says it's easy in that sense. Is it easy to love your neighbor? No. Is it easy to bless those who curse you? No. And what we've done is we've twisted it. Well, Jesus really didn't mean that. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He modeled it for us. From the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So please do not twist the words of Jesus to make it easier to follow. It is difficult. It is a challenging road. But he has promised to be with us. And, and next week, I thought about going out of order. Next week, we're going to talk about our identity in Christ because that's going to be very important in this conversation. My identity is not in how well I perform. My identity is in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. That doesn't negate the fact that I want to follow him and obey him, but it also doesn't rely upon my own ability. And so today, as we talk about practicing the way of Jesus, I'll point you to part nine. We're not going to cover a lot of what's in the book this week. Uh, I'd challenge you this week to read it, study it, look up some of those scripture references that go with it. They talk about the, the process that they went through as a leadership team in the church that they were a part of, where they took all of the commands of Jesus and they just began to categorize them. And they put them into these four different categories, loving God, uniting with believers, serving the world, and entrusting the gospel. Then they talk about those three relationships. All of us walk in relationship with God, whether we have one or we don't have one, we understand the scripture through the lens of a relationship with God, relationship with the body of Christ, and relationships with people in the world. And so they're going to cover a lot of those different things. They're going to talk about um, even periods of dryness in our lives. And if you remember back when we talked about spiritual disciplines, Spiritual disciplines are things that maybe sometimes we, we, we run away, away from, especially if our personality is not a disciplined personality. Uh, we think we're given a pass in disciplines. Um, disciplines have been misused by the church over the years. So what people have said is, you know, if you don't read your Bible every day, you know, God's so unhappy with you. And so when you miss like a day or two of Bible reading, we imagine God sitting there being like, you know, you missed two days. That's, that's not at all what the discipline of studying the Scripture is all about. The discipline is not like the end. It's not about like, yes, check, I had my Bible, I had my devotions today. Because I meet people that have daily devotions all the time, but they're the meanest people you ever want to talk to. They have no patience for other people, they're unkind, they gossip, they slander. But praise God, they read through the Bible every year. So you can read through the Bible and this book won't change you magically. If you don't actually open your heart to it and let it help you understand, this book is supposed to point me into a more intimate relationship with Jesus so that he can transform me. So the discipline is a, a highway to where we want to go, not an end itself. And the disciplines of reading scripture and praying and fasting, we've talked about those. We talked about the, the discipline of solitude. 
taking time to just be quiet. I know if you parent young children, you're like, sign me up for that discipline of solitude. Oh, I would love to have 15 minutes by myself somewhere. Um, But learning how to carve out space in our day, to not just sit with our phone uh, and just mindlessly do stuff, but really just sit with the Lord and say, what do you want to say to me? And if that, if that has to be in the bathroom, single mom, praise God, do it in the bathroom. Like whatever it needs, the discipline of solitude sometimes just helps us recenter and refocus. The discipline of Sabbath and slowing. Remember how we talked about driving in the slow lane and never changing lanes? Yeah, praise God. Because it does something to us internally. It causes us to trust in a wholly different way. It causes us to, to deal with the impatience that, that is just beneath the surface of our lives. It's easy for us to deflect and not talk about our character flaws or the things that the Lord wants to work out in our lives. We talked about practicing the presence of God, going throughout the day and just setting an alarm on your phone every five minutes, ten minutes, just continuously bringing Him back to mind. The Lord is with me. Man, He's here. What's He saying right now? What's He doing right now. And these aren't things that you can do all the time, maybe just for a short season, maybe for a week, maybe for a day, maybe one day a week. Uh, we, there's so many different disciplines. There were books and podcasts we talked about. We did a whole series on it. Um, and so they're going to talk a little bit about some of those disciplines. If you need more information or want something um, that we talked about or you're like, hey, I vaguely remember you talked about this discipline. Where do I find more information on that? Reach out to me. I'd love to share that with you. But we're going to go to Mark chapter 10. So Mark chapter 10, as we talk about practicing the way of Jesus, the Torah or the the yoke of Jesus, we're going to just look through several verses in Mark chapter 10. And I don't know if you you understand what we have in our hands when we talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we refer to as the four Gospels. Basically, these disciples of Jesus, people who walked with him while he was on the earth, wrote a letter or a story talking about who Jesus was. They, they put in these stories things that they want their audience to be aware of and understand. Matthew wrote his letter to the Jews. So his letter contains all kinds of Old Testament references. He talks about Moses, uh, Jesus being the, the new Moses, and he compares him to Moses, and you'll find that throughout his gospel. Mark wrote his to the, to the Romans. If you know anything about the Romans, the Romans were the first Western society. Most of the societies up to this point were very Eastern. They were very, like, um, just different in thought processes. We are Western. We are modeled after the Roman Empire here in our culture. And we like things fast-paced. Let's keep things moving, please, because we our attention span, we were into entertainment. The Romans were into entertainment. And so if you, if you don't keep it moving, so Mark will use the word immediately a lot, immediately, immediately, immediately. And, and I don't know how this is going to land with you, um, but that may not have happened like that way. So the gospel writers are not writing it as they remember it. They're writing it to declare Jesus is the Messiah. Now, please understand, they're not lying. They're not making it up. These are actual stories that happen. But we get so hung up on, well, this story says it this way, and this story says it this way, and this guy highlighted this, and this guy highlighted that. Well, it's based upon who they're writing to. 
It's not that the, the one isn't true and the other is more true or there's, you know, maybe they were just misremembering. They're writing to a certain audience. John wrote his book to a very broad audience and he tells us at the end of his book, John chapter 20, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So these writers are writing so for that very purpose. They want you to know who Jesus was. And they're portraying him accurately, but they're portraying him in a way that you're going to be able to grasp and understand. So we have all of these letters in front of us, and we have to make sure that as we're reading them, that we understand who they're writing to and how that really applies to us today. As we read through Mark chapter 10, what I want you to keep in mind, or as you read any of the Gospels, Jesus lived very intentionally. He did not do anything just randomly. Every word he spoke was intentional. Every parable he told, every thing he taught about. We, we read the story of cursing the fig tree and we're like, dude, like the figs weren't on the tree. Jesus is actually talking about the temple. He's talking about how the temple is not bearing fruit even because of the corruption that existed in the temple. Uh, and he's prophesying basically the destruction that's about to happen many, many years later, but is going to happen because of the corruption that exists in the temple. So Jesus isn't just cursing a fig tree because he was a little ticked off that there were no figs on it. But what, what happens is we don't know the scripture like they did. So we miss a lot of those things. We don't, we don't even slow down enough to, to maybe read the footnotes that would help us understand. Uh, and that's why I talk about all these other resources, because this book is a gold mine of information. If we would just take the time to dig a little bit, uh, we would learn so much more and understand so much more. So Jesus is intentional in everything that he does and says. So when you read something and you're like, hmm, that seems a little bizarre, dig. Because there's a reason he said it that way, there's a reason he did it that way, and there's something to grasp in there. What we find is Jesus is spending most of his time trying to get his disciples to see things from a different perspective. Remember, he's a rabbi. He's trying to take, have them take his yoke, his interpretation of the Torah on themselves. And that means they have to shift their perspective and understanding to his perspective. And so that's what he's intentionally trying to do. They, and probably us today, tended to stay awake for the things that put Jesus to sleep. Think about them on the boat during the storm. Anxious, worried, afraid. Where's Jesus? Sleeping. And the things that Jesus, or they, the things that they slept through were the things that kept Jesus awake. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it's only prayer. Prayer's not that important. And Jesus says, stay awake so you do not fall into temptation. Watch with me. Pray. Eh, it, it's prayer. I mean, it's a good idea, but is it really necessary? Necessary for Jesus to be awake all night. 
So we want to shift perspective. The things that we don't think are that important, mm, Jesus teaches those things are vital. And so we want to make sure that we are practicing the way of Jesus. Practicing the way of Jesus. When we say that, I want to, when I was at General Council this year, uh, I heard a man, a, a guy, a young man by the name of Austin Westlake speak. And he said this, and this is, this is very profound. I put the quote on the screen for you. He says this, Jesus is not looking for earthly perfection. He is looking for heavenly perspective. It's more about awareness than ability. Think about that for a second. He's not looking for earthly perfection. He's looking for heavenly perspective. It's more about awareness than ability. Because when we start talking about practicing the way of Jesus, sometimes we get hung up on the fact that we're not doing it perfectly or we're not doing it well. Or don't get hung up on how perfect you're doing it. Um, when you make a mistake, absolutely acknowledge it. But again, our identity is not in our performance. It's in Him. The finished work that He did for us. So do not misunderstand what Jesus is teaching or what I'm trying to teach in this perfectionistic ideal, ideal, ideology that sometimes we get hung up on. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says it this way, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Your, our actions ought to be holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. Worship is not raising my hands, it's living out what he's asked me to do. Don't conform to the pattern of the world like, don't live according to the, the same selfish ways that the world lives. Don't live according to the same greedy patterns of this world. Don't live at the, in the same uh, gossipy slander patterns of this world. But be transformed by changing how you think. So the problem with my actions is not necessarily my actions. It's my perspective. It's my thinking process. So Jesus is trying to get us to shift perspective. And when we do that, our behaviors begin to follow, if that makes sense. So as you read through Jesus' teaching, and as you read through, um, the, the, even today, Mark chapter 10, as we walk through it, you want to keep that in mind as we walk through this. So we're going to start in verse 17. If you've got your Bible, you can follow along there, or it's going to be on the screen for you as well. Uh, Mark chapter 10, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you've got to understand, Jewish theology doesn't believe that when you die, you just go to heaven. And, like, Jewish thought is, like, eternal life is now. Like, how do I enter the kingdom? How do I be a part of what God is doing on the earth? This is, this is what he's referring to. He's not talking about how do I make sure I go to heaven when I die. So... Keep that in perspective. He's looking for, how do I enter the kingdom? And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So Jesus is digging. You know, are you, are you calling me good because you believe that, I'm, that I am who I've claimed to be, that I am God? Or, you know, what, what, he's digging to find out, like, why are you calling me good? Then Jesus goes on and says, here, you know the commandments. If you want to enter the kingdom, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud others, don't or honor your father and mother. And the man says, teacher, 
All these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, do you think he's ever made a mistake? Yeah, I'm sure. He, he, it's, not, again, not about perfectionism. It's about continually being on that journey. So whenever I fail, I take a sacrifice, I, I make it right. Whenever I don't live up, I, I, I'm walking that way. He's not saying I've never made a mistake. He's just saying I, I keep those things. I understand loving my neighbor, these relationships that I have on earth, because those are the commandments that Jesus is fixated upon, like these outward with one another. So I, I understood that, and I've been doing that. But what Jesus is about to get at is why are you doing it? Because you can obey all of the commandments, but you can do it out of the wrong heart. Like you can just be doing the minimum requirement. I mean, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, so I'm going to love my neighbor. I know I'm supposed to like, be respectful of my spouse, so I'm going to respect my spouse. I mean, we can do it f- with a bad attitude, or we can do it because we understand this is the kingdom way. This is who my God is. And I want to walk that way. I don't want to just force myself to behave. I actually want a heart that actually is just like his, that actually just does it. That's what we're, that's what we're after. And so as I make mistakes along the way, I'm going to acknowledge them, and I'm just going to keep moving in that direction. And so Jesus is going to dig, and he says this. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. And he says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me, be my disciple. And at this the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. This passage of scripture ought to cause us to soberly reflect. Because there is not a person today listening to my voice in this room, probably online, unless you happen to be in a third world country, which you probably wouldn't have the internet access to watch right now, who's listening to my voice that is not rich. Statistically, we are the wealthiest people in the world. The poorest of the poor in our nation are among the wealthiest in the world. And what happens when we amass wealth for ourselves, when we get comfortable, is we become greedy, we become selfish, we become complacent. We have at heart our own desires and wills. And those things can lull us to sleep and they can actually get a hold on us that keep us from entering the kingdom. And so Jesus is getting at that and saying, it's not that you have to sell everything and give it to the poor, but what would you do if he asked? Well, Pastor Tom, he's not going to ask. What would you do if he asked? What if he asked you to downsize, sell your house, give away everything, move into a small apartment, and just live on the basic necessities and live the simplest life you could? it actually would probably bring you far more freedom and peace than you expect. But it's not a question of whether or not he's asking. It's a question of whether or not I'm ready to do whatever he asks. Like, am I really his disciple ready to take my yoke upon him or upon me? So Jesus, 
then says to them in verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed. And they said, then who can be saved? That's a legit question. And Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but not with God. With God all things are possible. So Peter speaks up. Good Peter. I love him. I mean, if you're going to just speak up. If you're wrong, well, praise God. I mean, this guy was called Satan at one point. Well, he wasn't, but his declaration was satanic. And so, but it didn't stop him from being the one to be like, no, I want to learn. I want to grow. And for those of you that maybe are afraid to speak up or afraid to speak out or afraid to ask a question, you, you, you grow. Don't be afraid of failure. Be afraid of staying silent. Keep growing. Keep learning. Keep understanding. There's Peter. We've left everything to follow you. Jesus said, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions. (laughs) I just love Mark's version. Because, you know, you're going to get all, I mean, you're going to be blessed, prosperity gospel preachers right there. You're going to get everything. God's going to bless you going in. He's going to bless you coming out. And by the way, you're going to get persecuted. That doesn't really fit the narrative, does it? Because what we think of as what I'm going to get in return is not what the kingdom is actually offering. The kingdom is offering to cut your ties with the world. Where you're going to, you're going to always have enough. You're going to learn the secret of being content whether you have plenty or whether you have little. You're, just, you're going to understand fully when we take his yoke upon us. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Right here, Jesus is, is trying to shift perspective. See, in, in our world, in our mindset, I want to be first. I want to be first. I want to be, I want to be in line first when they give away something for free. I want to, on Black Friday, praise God we've changed this a little bit. I want, to be, I, want, I want to knock people down just to get the $22 whatever I want to get. Because, I mean, I need that thing in order to have life. And so, like, I want to be first. As if God can't bring whatever it is you need in your life and you can't trust Him, you have to be first. And we do, we do this in a lot of ways. And so if you're sitting here right now thinking, well, I don't really have this last first mindset. You do. I do. You do. We do. We want to grow out of that. We want to get to the place where we so trust Him that I don't have to fight for my way. I can just trust His way. I can trust that He's fighting for me and I don't have to open my mouth right now. I don't have to be the one to, be the, to speak up and make the voice heard, and I don't have to point out everybody's flaws. God can, he can do this. He doesn't need me. Now, at times, he may ask me to speak up in a, in a spirit of humility, but most of the time, he just wants me to grow. Yeah, I know. It's hard. So, comes on to verse 32. They were on their way to Jerusalem, and we're like, wow, okay, that's cool. They're on their way to Jerusalem. The other gospel translators will say Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. So he, something resolute is about, something is shifting right here. He's headed to Jerusalem, and watch what, watch what happens. Jesus is leading the way. The disciples were astonished. Why are they astonished? Because he's going to Jerusalem. 
Well, what's, what's the big deal about that? Because trouble is on the way. They know that there's trouble. The last time he was there, there was trouble. And now, if he goes back, this, the showdown is about to hit. So they're astonished. They're, they're ready. But those who followed were afraid. I mean, after all, they're expecting a showdown with the Roman Empire. Jesus is going to bear arms, and we are going to have this out, and the Messiah is here, and we are going to be free. This is what they're expecting. So he took, took the twelve aside, shift the perspective. He's trying to get them to see it. He knows what they're thinking. We are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, we know they didn't get it. We know they didn't. They totally miss it. He's, but he's, he's going to tell them because they're going to remember this. And after he dies, they're going to be like, hey, remember when he talked about this? Oh, yeah, I remember. Look. And then they start going back through the Old Testament. And they're like, oh, look, it's here too. Oh, look, it's here too. Wow, how did we miss this before? Jesus just patiently just kept trying to shift their mindset. The fact that they don't get it is ex- it just totally told by the next verse. Look at this. Then James and John... The sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, that takes some chutzpah right there. I mean, for you to walk up to the the Son of God and say, we want you to do whatever we ask. I mean, after all, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. So, you know, what's the worst that can happen? He says, no? Okay, let's go for it. So they go to him and they say, well, we want you to do whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he says. praise God. I mean, imagine you walking up to him and saying, hey, I want you to do this for me. And he's like, what do you want? They said, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. We want to be first. After everything he just said. And now three years they've heard this. Three years he's trying to get them to change their perspective, change their perspective. He knows he's on his way to Jerusalem to die. He tells them plainly, and they say, we want to sit on your right and left. Because they're only hearing what they want to hear. They're hearing, the, he's, he's about to ascend, the Messiah. He, we're going to Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah, they're going to beat you, they're going to spit on you, they're gonna, but you're going to rise. Metaphorically, right? You're going to die, you're going to rise. We're, and when you rise, we want to be there. We want to be first. Man, they just, they miss it. Don't be hard on them because you and I miss it all the time. We only hear what we want to hear from Jesus. We take his words and we twist them so that I don't have to change myself. I mean, I don't have to be the one that's wrong. It's my spouse who's wrong. It's my kids who's wrong. It's my parents who are wrong. It's my teacher who's wrong. It's my kid's teacher who's wrong. It's my coach. It's my boss. It's my everybody else is wrong. Yeah, you're right. Everyone else is wrong. And so are you and me. And what he's concerned about is not everybody else. It's you. It's me. Change your perspective. Listen to what he's saying. So look at what he says to them. You you don't even know what you're asking. Like, I mean, I imagine Jesus in this moment. Like, they're like, hey, we're about to have this political coup and we want to be on your right and your left. And he's like, you want to be on my right and my left? You want to know how to be great in the kingdom? Okay, you're going to have to be murdered. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to die in order to, 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 to get what you want. So, okay. 
Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can. <laughs> no, you really don't know what you're asking. But Jesus says to them, you will drink the cup I drink. And you will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So they're, they're, they are going to give their life, but they're not ready to give their lives yet. I mean, are you glad that he's in control of what comes into your world? Because when you're not ready for it, he's going to say no. I mean, sometimes we're like, I don't understand why other people are getting promoted and I'm not getting promoted. Maybe. Ask yourself, maybe. Maybe. God, are there some things in my character that I'm not letting you work out so that I can be promoted? Oh, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Because what he's interested in is not your promotion. It's your character. And again, my identity is not in what he's trying to work out. I don't have to hide it. I don't have to be like, I don't have that character flaw. I don't act that way. I don't do that thing. Well, you do something bad too. You're right. I do something bad too. We all do. But I, let's just all grow. And that's what Jesus is digging at. That's what he's always digging at. So when the ten heard about this, they became indignant. They, Jesus calls them all together. Again, guys, mindset. Think about this. You know that those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I know that's a great verse to say amen to today, but when you go to work tomorrow and your boss says, hey, will you do this? And your reply is, well, that's not my job. Are you, are you listening? I know it's not your job. And does your boss have the right to ask you to do something that's not your job? No, probably doesn't in the American culture or in the American, you know, you have rights type of mindset. But in the kingdom, he does. And we could comply. Now, I want you to understand something, because when we start talking about this, everybody always goes to like, well, what about Hitler? Like, should we have just obeyed Hitler? No. And do we always have to go to the extreme so that we don't have to actually just do one thing that we don't want to do? Yeah, because we don't want to do the one thing we don't want to do. If you're in an abusive relationship and you're being used as a punching bag, the Scripture's not telling you to stay there. It's not. It's actually telling you to bring it to light because that's an injustice that needs to come into the light. You need to do it in humility, not in, I want to get even with this person, but one, you're, you need to protect yourself, and two, you want to make sure that that person is good because when that person stands before God, they will have to answer for the abuse. And you don't want them to have to answer for that. So just being silent because you want to keep the peace that's not what you're called to as a child of God. You're called to make peace. And sometimes that means I have to speak up when I don't want to. I would rather just not say anything. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. Well, I don't want to ruffle any feathers either, but I want everyone to come into the kingdom. And sometimes the way to do that is, is ruffling feathers. Does, is Jesus saying anytime anyone asks me for something, I have to say yes? No, he's not saying that. 
There were things that people wanted Jesus to do, and he said no. Why? Because Jesus set boundaries. Jesus understood what the Father was asking of him, and he didn't let anyone else's opinion or ask deter him from that. There were times when someone came to him and said, hey, my daughter's sick, will you come? He's like, I will come. And then his best friend died, or is sick, and he's like, I'm not going to go yet. It's okay to say no. You don't have to say yes all the time. But churches are really good at making you feel guilty. Well, you should say yes all the time. No, you shouldn't say yes all the time. But sometimes you should say yes when you don't want to say yes. And sometimes you should say no when you don't want to say no. It's about being led by the Spirit. So setting boundaries is a good thing. And so wanting to take the words of Jesus and apply them to our lives is going to take effort and it's going to take work. It's going to be hard and it's going to go against my personality. Well, Pastor Tom, my personality, I'm more of a peacekeeper. Okay, great. Thank God that you have been made new in Christ Jesus and he has called you as a peacemaker. And you're going to have to learn to grow into that. Now, some of us have a personality where we just like, we, let's make peace. Let's just do this. And you know what? That doesn't give us the right to be a jerk. So we have to actually temper that personality trait and do it in a way that actually helps people to be able to deal with stuff, not just blurt it out. Well, that's just who I am. That's just how I am. Well, thank God you have been made new in Christ Jesus, and now you can actually learn to temper how you say it so that you're not offensive with your speech. It's not really about the truth or not the truth. It's about speaking the truth in love, in a, in a culture of love, and in a place where I'm actually willing to, be, to sacrifice or lay down my life to help you. You know, Keith Green, if you've ever read his story... Uh, man, he was an amazing guy. When he got saved, it was radical. So they would meet someone that was on the beach and they were going to have an abortion and he was like, you can't have an abortion. It's a sin. And they're like, well, I don't know what to do. He's like, you're going to move in with us. We're going to help you. We're going to make sure that you can have this child. And they did. Like his wife got a little frustrated with him at times because they always had people living with them because that was the gospel to him. And so anytime he would do a concert, he would be really hard on the church. Like he would be, like, I mean, some of his song, like Sheep and Goats, man, he just, he was, man, he was passionate. But over the years, he began to temper his language. Because it, what he was saying, it was true. He needed to challenge the church. He just didn't have to do it so harshly. I mean, people stopped going to his concerts because they just, they got tired of being browbeated. And he had to learn how to soften that message so that the truth that he was saying could be received by the people that needed to hear it. And he was a great example of it and tragically lost his life in a plane accident um, in his 30s. Man, way before his time. But just so passionate. Leaves behind such a legacy of what it means to follow Christ. From the beginning of the scripture, this has been God's plan for human beings. Adam and Eve in the garden were supposed to do what God said was right, even when their own mind said otherwise. When they looked at the fruit that looked good and they reasoned in their mind it was good, they were supposed to deny that. You're not supposed to do everything that looks good. You're not supposed to do everything that you reason in your mind is good. You're supposed to trust what he says is good. Now, whether that's like an overtly sinful act, like sexual immorality of some sort, or whether that's just giving someone a piece of your mind when he says, bless those who curse you. Either way, 
we need to shift perspective to say, you know what? He's been around a long time. In fact, he made me, so he's like the owner's manual of me. And I know that I think I'm going to feel better if I just spout off right now. But apparently, if I actually just learn, not how to just stuff it. Because when you just stuff it, it boils over eventually. But learn how to deal with it in the right manner. And have the conversations that I need to have and be a peacemaker not in the heat of the moment, but when I can actually have a conversation because I value the relationship with that person, when I learn how to do those types of things, man, I will be a peacemaker. And I'll be a son of God, a daughter of God. That, that's literally what Jesus is teaching. Jesus came as the second Adam because the first Adam chose his own way. Jesus came to model for us what to do. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it's not on the screen, says, as Jesus gave you an example, you should follow in his steps. Only in the context of what Peter is saying is Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth. He did not retaliate. He allowed them to beat him. Follow in his steps. Wow. Those are some hard words, aren't they? Come to me, take my yoke upon you, because it's easy. It's easy. It's not easy. But it leads to life. And so the call today, over these last three weeks, part seven, eight, and nine, do I want to be a disciple of Jesus? Now do you understand why Jesus says, count the cost? I mean, the gospel that we preach today is, hey, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Pray this prayer. He's going to come into your life. He's going to forgive you of all your sins. Praise the Lord. Thank him for that. And you get to go to heaven when you die. That's an incomplete message. What's happened is you have been invited by the God of the universe to step into his kingdom reality and live according to a kingdom that will never end because if you choose to live according to the kingdoms of this world the ways of this world the ways of the flesh it will come to an end and when it comes to an end you will actually be put outside the kingdom of god where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and you will not partake of the kingdom that never ends you have to choose to be a part of that kingdom now and so jesus says count the cost now praise god we don't have to do it perfectly but we have to do it humbly we have to acknowledge when we've made a mistake. It's okay to, in front of your children, we've talked about this, when you, when you gossip, slander, maybe yell at your spouse, when you do something inappropriate in front of them, it's okay to say, you know what, I never should have done that. And I, I've already taken that to the Lord and acknowledged I shouldn't have done that. And I'm in right relationship with Him, but I want you to know that I should never have done that. Our kids need to see us model for them that it's okay to make mistakes and it doesn't affect my identity in Christ, but I also acknowledge my, my mistakes. Hebrews 10 warns us if we deliberately continue to sin after receiving the knowledge of truth, there's no sacrifice that remains for us. In other words, if I just brush it off and say, well, I know I shouldn't have yelled at that person, but I only yelled at that person because of this situation. No, false. I yelled at that person because I chose to do the wrong thing in that moment and I need to do better. I need to allow the Spirit of God to temper my personality, shift my perspective, help me trust Him more because apparently I don't trust Him because I spoke up and I had to, to, to be the one to, to set the record straight per se. 
rather than let him do it. And this is the way of Jesus. And I promise you, that leads to life. How do I know? Because I've watched other people do it. And I know that when I learn to surrender those things, I feel way better than when I don't. So the question is, do you want to be a disciple? Because you have to be a disciple to make a disciple. And this great thing that Jesus has called us into is what parts 7, 8, and 9 talk about in that book. So I want you, for the next few minutes, just to, to quietly, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about uh, what we've talked about today. I want you to count the cost for a second. Because some of you are in this room, and everything I've said, you've, you, you've understood, you know. Maybe it's a great reminder to you, but you're like, yeah, yeah, and that's a great reminder. I, there are some things probably I need, to, uh, I need to lay down. I need to listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying. I need to, to shift in perspective. Yeah. Maybe there's just one thing that he's pointed out today. But on the complete other end of that spectrum, there's someone that maybe everything I said today is like brand new. And you're like, wow, I just thought it was about praying a prayer and going to heaven when I die. I didn't realize that he wanted me to like do what he taught or even to really do what he taught. Like, really? He wants me to bless those who curse me? Why? Well, because when we bless those who curse us, we actually take the, the demonic forces that are at work in the life of the person that's cursing us and we break them. We break their stronghold. We help open their eyes to maybe see that that's not the right behavior. We open their eyes to be able to receive the gospel. So not only does my character get to be worked on, but I'm actually doing supernatural things and I'm actually breaking the, the holds of the powers of darkness on our society and I'm actually bringing kingdom. It's just, oh wow, I get to be a part of building the kingdom. It's just not with a sword. Well, a physical sword. It's with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God that speaks life and hope and peace and joy. So wherever you are in that spectrum, my hope as we close the service today is that you choose to be a disciple. You choose to lay your life down, to acknowledge that without Him, you, you're a sinner, you're broken that you yield yourself to him, that you believe that he paid the penalty for your sin and now he makes you a child of God and you want to follow. You want to take his yoke on you. And so Holy Spirit, as we count that cost today, I pray specifically for each of us today that you'd speak so plainly to us, that you'd show us what's the next step that I need to take today. An area that needs to be cut out of my life, something that needs to be added to my life, something that needs to be confessed, a relationship that needs to be cut off, a relationship that needs to be restored, whatever it is, help us to hear and respond to you. Help us to shift perspective as we read your word, as we walk with you this week ahead. Help us not to just hear what we want to hear, but help us to have a heart that hears you. Help us not to hear the voice of condemnation that puts us down or, or causes us to be defeated and even just throw up our hands and walk away. Help us to hear the conviction of your spirit that causes us to repent and to continue on that journey. And so Holy Spirit, take your word today. Make it alive in our hearts. Help us as a church body 
to be a people that take your yoke on us and practice your way. Help that to flesh out all week long in every relationship. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd encourage you to dig into part nine, some of the appendixes. If you want the other copies of the books, those are on the tables in the back. There's lots of stuff on those tables in the lobby. I'd encourage you to stop by there. Before you leave today, offering baskets are there as well. We've got our tithes and offerings basket, also our global outreach basket. And parents, one more time, don't forget to pick up your kids before you leave today. Thanks for being here. God bless you as you go.